So how's everybody doing tonight? Good. How many of you uh, are married or have been married at one time or another? How many of you experienced, a, or in, in maybe if you haven't been married yet, how many of you have ever experienced a honeymoon in your life? What's one thing that happens at the end of a honeymoon? The, end, the honeymoon ends, right? So <clears throat> that's important to know because at some point you get back from the wedding and all these wonderful romantic feelings and emotions. And the next thing you know, the honeymoon is ending and you get back to living real life, going to work. One of you sitting on the pot, the other one's brushing your teeth. The romance is dead, right? <clears throat> but when we got married, Erica was, is, is the joy of my life outside of um, my faith in Jesus and our kids. But we got home from our honeymoon uh, and we went to Hawaii. We thought the tickets were really cheap. And then we got there and we understood why, because everything else is so expensive. They suck you in and then they suck you dry. So we got home and, and we started living life and um, about two weeks, maybe it was about a week after we got home, Erica said to me, hey, I noticed your suitcase is still out. No big deal. You know, I know this is all new. So when you get a chance, just put it away. And I said, okay, I'll try. A couple days later, she said, hey, I noticed your suitcase is still out. Maybe you should, you know, just put it away. We can kind of clean our room. I said, hey, you know what? I'll try. About another week goes by and finally she's like, listen. We've been married now for three weeks. Your suitcase is still out. You need to put it away. And I said, Erica, I'll try. And she spoke to me. Um, and, I, and I know that it was uh, God inspired her to say this. But she looked at me and she said, as Yoda said to Luke Skywalker, do or do not. There is no try. And I married. And I knew at that moment that I married the right woman. Right. If she can speak to me through Star Wars, then she could she could walk with me through life. But there is this idea that either do or do not, because when we try, really what we're saying is we're not going to do anything. We're not going to go to the left or the right. We're not going to make a firm commitment. We're not going to move forward. We're just going to think about doing good things. But when we say that we must make a decision to go this way or to go that way, what we're saying is we're going to take action one way or the other. When I was um, 30 years old, my cousin said, hey, we got to backpack through Europe. That was a lot of fun. I said, yeah. He said, this time I'm going to go to Vietnam. I said, could we go to the Bahamas? He said, I know I'm going to the Vietnam. You want to go? I said, I think about it. But there came a point where he said, you have got to put money down for the plane ticket. Whether you go or not, I'm going. So are you in or are you out? And friends, this is what Cord's mess series on Wednesday nights is all about. Are you in or are you out? That's the message for tonight. And I think that a lot of us have some decisions to make when it comes to Christianity. Eric and I talk about fun things like church history and things like that. And you, we were just talking the other day. Do you know what this, the, one of the monumental moments in Christian history is? It's in the 300 ADs when Constantine becomes emperor of Rome. There is the pagan religion that they're worshiping, the false gods, and then he becomes a Christian by most accounts. And he decides that the national religion of the empire of Rome is going to be what? Christianity. Which seems like a good thing when everyone has to be a Christian, that this is the, the, the faith that we're going to talk about. But something happened in that moment. Until that time, for 300 years, Christianity had struggled. They'd been persecuted. They'd been beat up. It cost you something to believe in Jesus and to follow him. And then all of a sudden, Constantine becomes a Christian. He says Christianity is going to be the national religion of the empire of Rome. And it didn't cost you anything anymore. 
It was politically expedient to tell others you were a Christ follower. It helped you politically. It helped you professionally. It helped you, you know, in, in every way. And instead of people having to sacrifice for their faith, all of a sudden for the first time, people started sliding in and putting on the clothes of Christianity, even if they weren't being transformed inside by Jesus. Maybe some of that was going on even in the day of John, when John's 90 years old and he's writing the revelation on the island of Patmos in the Greek Isles. And he's talking about the revelation that God gives to him. And he says uh, that God shows to him these seven angels of these seven churches. And he's talking to each one of these churches and he's saying, listen, you neither are hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you've got to make a decision. Are you going to go right or are you going to go left? You're going to be a Christian or you're not going to be a Christian because it doesn't help anybody to pretend to be something that you're not. Do you know that in the, the most recent statistics that there is a new group when it comes to faith? That are you a Christian? Yes. But there is a large group of people who are now known as nuns. It's amazing. We always knew that priests were cool, but now nuns are cool. I'm just kidding. Nuns are people who say that they have no spiritual affiliation. But that's nothing new because what's happened over the years is people have said, I'm a Christian because that's what the culture says. I'm a Christian because that's what my parents were. And they would go to church twice a year on Memorial Day and on, I'm just, <laughs> Easter and Christmas, right? And they finally got to the point where they're just like, I just won't be honest. I really don't believe in that stuff. And so they started this new category of N-O-N-E-S because they're saying, I'm tired of, I'm tired of just playing the game. Are you hot or are you cold? Are you in or you're out? Now, we're in Galatians chapter 14, and, and he told me to cover the whole chapter, and we're going to do that tonight. But I promise you, I'm only going to go an hour and a half, and then I'll release you. You'll be out of here by 10 o'clock, I promise. This is, if you want to turn your Bibles, man, we're going to go through this. I use the New Living Translation. It's great. Uh, you can use the NIV, the NASV, the King James, whatever you want to use. But if you want to turn your mobile device, it'll be on the screen here in a second. But we're going to look at Galatians chapter 2. Galatians is the first letter that Paul writes uh, to one of the churches that he plants. And this is what he tells us in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. Now, the 14 years that he's talking about is 14 years from the time of his conversion to becoming a Christian. Now, this is what he says. He says, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. And while I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. This whole Christianity thing was new, right? For thousands of years, God's chosen people had been who? It's okay to talk in church. I promise I'll only throw the gum that I'm chewing at For thousands of years, God's chosen people had been who? The Jewish people, right? Salvation was for the Jews. They, they followed God by following the law that he gave to Moses. And then all of a sudden, Jesus changes everything. For the first time, Jesus is going to come. And even while he's teaching in the biographies that we read, the, that we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus is intimating, he's indicating that there's going to be an opportunity for everybody to be chosen. That the party's going to be open to everybody. It's not going to be an exclusive covenant anymore. But that he created each one of us to have a relationship with him. And he wants us, all of us, to be with him for eternity. Jesus came so that all men might be, what? Saved. 
But that's going to be something that everyone struggles with who is of the Jewish faith, who always believed that they were the ones that were chosen. And so, this guy Paul is writing in Galatians chapter 2. And he's going to tell us that God chose him for a purpose. Now, if God is going to open up the, the message, the salvation of Jesus Christ to everyone, they know what it looks like to reach Jewish people because they're all Jewish. What are the non-Jewish people called? Gentiles, which just basically means the rest of us, right? He says... That the apostles have gone to the, the Jewish people, but now Paul has been raised up to go to the Gentile people. Now listen, if I was God, which sometimes Erica reminds me that I'm not. If I was God and I was going to choose somebody to go and to, to minister to these Gentile people in the Roman Empire. Man, I would have chosen somebody that, that looked like them, that talked like them, that thought like them, who experienced the same things that they thought. Man, I would send a Greek philosopher or a Roman senator. Maybe Spartacus would have been cool. But God rarely does what we expect him to do. Who does God send? He sends an elite Jewish Pharisee who'd observed the law every day of his life in every way. This man was so tied into Judaism and tied into following the law that he almost tried to single-handedly wipe out Christianity. And he went so far to do that as he would imprison people, he would chain people, he would, he would beat people, he would even kill Christians. That's as far as he was willing to take it. And friends, he didn't do it as a matter of this is what I have to do. He did it with glee and excitement and joy because he believed that he was stamping out a false teacher. But this is the guy that God chooses. And as he's riding on the road to Damascus with his party, with the soldiers, with his intentions, Jesus meets him. And friends, when Jesus meets him on the road, everything changes. Now listen to me. Some of us are going to have dramatic conversion experiences. Some of us have lived rougher lives than others. Some of us grew up in the church and we made a decision for Jesus because that seemed like a natural thing and we loved him and we wanted to do that. But there is one thing that is consistent in every transition story and that that means that there has to be change. We can't live for ourselves anymore. That when Jesus comes into our life and, we, he, makes, and he becomes the Lord of our life, something must change. We must live differently. We must think differently. We must talk differently. We must encourage differently. We must act differently because when Jesus comes into our life, we can't be the same anymore. And this guy, Named Saul, who was a Jew among Jews, who had a PhD from the Harvard of Jerusalem or Princeton, depending on which school you like better. Personally, Indiana, but. This guy that is the top of his social class was being groomed as one of the next great leaders of Israel, gives his life to Jesus. And he is radically transformed and he's on fire man 
And this guy who had been known as Saul into a, to a Jewish man who was going up the, the ladder of success, a name was important. He changes his Jewish name of Saul to the Greek name of Paul so that he could reach more people and build a bridge. This is the guy that God chose. Now, there's a lesson here that that I don't want you to miss. There's an old Yiddish saying that says, men playing and God laughs. You ever experienced that? You make your plans. Let me ask you a question. I want you to go back. For some of you, it's going to be way back to when you were like in 10th grade. All right. I want you to think about what your plans were for life, what that would look like. Did it include any of the hardships and challenges that you faced in your life to this point? Did it include some of the, the career changes and the family changes and the health issues that you've experienced that you've experienced to this point in your life? Men make plans and God laughs because we can't read our own future. We don't know what it looks like. We know what we think we want it to look like. But many, many times what we say is that the life that God has given us is much better than the life we would have chosen for ourselves. Listen, if I could have chosen, I would have married somebody not from Michigan. I would have married somebody from the South that had a cool accent or from England. One time I said to Eric, I was like, Erica, you know, you have this Michigan accent. Why couldn't you have had a cool accent like British or Southern accent? And she said, why couldn't you have been good looking? <laughs> For a second, I'd like you to write down. This is the homework, all right? I want you to take out a pen and paper or your, your phone, mobile device, whatever you have. Write it on the hand of your, your, the person sitting next to you if you don't want to get your hand dirty. I'd like you to write down... The weaknesses you have. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you exchange papers and grade it. Just write down three reasons that you feel like a failure in life. Now, I'd like you to think through those three reasons that you just wrote down or thought of in your mind. And I want you to think about all of the reasons that God can't use you in your life. All of the reasons that that you argue with God when he wants you to talk to somebody or go on a mission or or submit yourself to um, to hardship by serving in the children's ministry. If you don't know why you don't think God can use you, ask your spouse, they'll tell you. And now I want to share this with you. If you think that God can't use you because of your failures and your faults and your inconsistencies and your losses in life, listen to this. Ready? John Ortberg wrote this in one of his books. Noah was an alcoholic. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Lear was an idolater. Moses had a stuttering problem. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was afraid and arrogant. Samson was a womanizer. Ruth was a pagan. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Solomon was a philanderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Job went bankrupt. The disciples fell asleep by praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman, she had five broken marriages. Zacchaeus was a swindler. Peter denied Christ. Paul was too religious. Timothy was too timid. And Lazarus, well, Lazarus was dead and God used him. So my question is, is why can't God use you? 
What's keeping God who created you, who knows your faults, who knows your inconsistencies, who, but who knows what the raw material that he gave you is available for his use? What makes you think that God can't use you to do something great? I want you to turn to the person next to you because I like to make it extremely uncomfortable when I speak. And I want you to say to the person next to you, you have greatness in you. Now turn to the person who just said that and said, I don't really see that in you. I'm kidding. Listen, I want you to say, I see greatness in you. Listen, God has a plan for your life. He wants to do incredible things through you. He's going to use your mistakes. He's going to use your your pitfalls. He's going to use the things that you've done in your life. And he's going to turn you into something beautiful. He is the king, the artist who takes broken pictures and and makes mosaics out of those that are incredible. He wants to take you and do something great with the people that only you can reach. Do you hear me? You see, there are some people I can't reach. If you're from Kentucky, I can't reach you because you like Big Blue Nation. And we will pray that God exercises those demons after the service. But seriously, some of you have been in the drug culture. Some of you have been alcoholics. Some of you have had bad marriages. Some of you were abused as children. Some of you have felt like failures in your life. Some of you know and are now able to to counsel people on how to make good financial choices. Some of you have struggles in your marriages. Some of you... I mean, whatever it is, God is going to take your weakness if you allow him to do it, to do something great for his kingdom. You see weaknesses and failures. God sees opportunities. So why can't God use you? Why can't you be great? Why can't God use what you have to transform the world? Why can't he? You tell me why can't God do that? Because he does all the time. In fact, that's where he does his best work. He takes people who are broken, who are ready, and he says, listen, you may feel like a failure, but I'm going to use that, and I'm going to turn you into something and use you to change the world. And you are a world changer. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because he created you for a reason. And the last thing he needs you to do is sit on the sidelines. Man, he needs you to buckle up and storm the gates of hell, even if it's with a water gun. Because there are people who need you. There are people in bad marriages in this church who feel like they have no hope. And maybe you've been there before and you know that God can restore what's been broken. Maybe there's somebody who's dealing with incredible sickness and they would just want to give up and die. And you've been there or you've had a spouse that was there or a child that was there. And you know what it is. You know that you need to walk beside them. Why are you standing still? Because God needs you. He needs you to come off the sideline. He needs you to get in the game. Because people are counting on you whether you know it or not. So what does God want to do with your life? Galatians chapter three through two, three through five says, and they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Everybody know what circumcision is? If you don't ask the person next to you, I'm not talking about it. (laughs) Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really, who went secretly, uh, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow the religious, re- the Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. 
We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Man, this is so huge. You think that there were no church fights in the first century? You're wrong. People are people and people are messy. Hurt people. Hurt people. Come on, you guys. You've got to know some of this stuff, right? Listen. One of the things we say in the Christian church is we speak where the Bible speaks and we are silent where the Bible is silent. Joe says almost every week, listen, don't listen to me. Read the scripture yourselves. If someone is trying to put you into a position that is not scriptural, people do it all the time. I am not God. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are not God. Some of you have been waiting a long time to say that to that person. Now turn back and say, you are not God. Who is God? Father, the creator, the one who has set us free. He's the one that leads us and that makes the rules, not us. Now to a Jewish person, circumcision is a big deal. It's what set the Jewish nation apart from everyone else. In fact, God says in the very beginning to Abraham, circumcision will be a, a sign of the covenant that's been made between me, Abraham, or me, me, God, and you, Abraham. So that one day what this covenant means is that your nation is going to be a great nation. I will be your God and you will be my people. Can you imagine, John Ortberg imagined this, what it would be like um, when God is having this conversation with Abraham. Hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a sign for this promise and the sign is going to be circumcision. And you're like, Noah got a rainbow. Can I get a decoder ring or maybe a secret handshake instead? But God said the sign is going to be circumcision. And so from that point on, when you are a Jewish male, you are circumcised in order to remind yourself and your family of the covenant that God had for you. If you weren't a Jewish person and you wanted to be convert to Judaism, there were three things you had to do. You, as a male, would have to be circumcised. You, uh, it's full immersion in, uh, for ritual cleaning in the mikvah. And then you would have to go to the temple to offer a sacrifice. That last one was suspended in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. But the first century Christians were already, already Jewish. So they were already circumcised. And if you wanted to become a Christian, all you had to do is, is make a confession of faith that I believe that Jesus is Lord and I accept him and be immersed and be baptized. Now, immersion wasn't just for ritual purification. It was remembering, as Romans chapter 6 says, of the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. It was dying to yourself and being risen anew. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul says that the baptism was for spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of our sinful nature. We're going to have a baptism Sunday, this Sunday. If you've never been immersed, I want to encourage you to do that. You can make that decision. We all have our own faith journey. And on your faith journey, maybe it's your time to make this decision. There'll be, never be a better time than, than either right now or this Sunday. But what it is, is dying to the old and rising to the new, becoming a new creation. You are no longer a slave to the law. You now live in grace. He goes on to write in verses 6 through 10. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, the reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to who? To the Gentiles. Now you're getting the hang of it. Just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to who? 
For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who are known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift that God had given to me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we what? Keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. Paul sent to the Gentiles. Peter is sent to the Jews. Who are you being sent to? One of the guys, uh, one of the gals on our staff, her name is Kelly. She's married to a guy who's on staff at Salty. We can be friends between different churches, right? And Jason, her husband, was a race car driver. Guess who he has a great ministry to? Surfers. I'm kidding. He does have a great ministry to surfers, but it's also race car drivers. You see, Paul says, I become all things to all people so that by some possible way, some might be saved. Use what God has given you to build a bridge and build a connection. We all have some gifts that God wants to use to change lives. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. By the way, remember, this is Paul's first letter to the church. And he's calling out the big dog. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers. Who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of. Come on now, he was afraid of what? Anybody in here afraid of criticism? He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you are a Jew by birth, having discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? And friends, this is where the story gets intense. And as a sometimes theologian, Alanis Morissette said, isn't it ironic? Don't you think? Paul grew up believing the law would save him. Peter learned at the feet of Jesus that grace is what saves you. Paul was one of the greatest religious minds in Judaism before, the convert, before his conversion. Uh, Peter was a simple fisherman. It's the student of the law reminding the student of Jesus of what truly matters. Five letters. Starts with an E. Ends with an E. Is race in between. What is that? Grace. Grace. Jesus says all are welcomed. All are invited to the party. There's no one that I want to keep out. There's no one that's so bad that they can't join our group. There's no one that's so dirty that they can't come into the halls of the church and find community and and friendship and renewed hope and renewed life. There is no one that is so far outside of the grace of God that they can't experience that grace. So what are we waiting for? What are we holding out for? Jesus invites everyone. But there's this tension between our flesh and our spirit. And we live in the flesh we want to fit in. Um, Because there's a lot of peer pressure in the world. Do you think there's peer pressure going on in the world right now? Anybody ever hear of cancel culture? 
You can be canceled by anybody. Heck, you can be canceled by your kids if you're not careful. Let's take an informal poll here. Does anybody care what people think about them in here? If you raised your hand, you probably care too. I do too, right? There's a story, it's one of my favorite stories of a young girl who one day walked out of her bedroom wearing knee-high socks that were different colors. And her mom says, hey, um, why are you wearing these these different mismatched socks? And she says, "Um, because I want to be unique. And also because everyone else is doing it. You see, in your faith journey, there will be an uncomfortable moment when you must choose between faith and religion. Religion tells us what we must do. Faith tell us, tells us why we must do it. Now, religion isn't always a bad thing. Uh, think about it this way. If you are living in the early times of Christianity or the Middle Ages or the medieval period and you are dealing with a group of illiterate people, how do you teach them the story of Jesus? Through pictures? Remember stained glass windows? You can point out what was happening so that people could follow along with you. You teach them the story of Jesus by memorization and by routine. You must do this always. But sometimes we get so lost in routine that we forget the why of what we're doing and we just remember the how. That's how we get religion, right? We don't necessarily know why we stand or sit or say this or repeat after this or do this when we walk into a room. We just know that we're supposed to do it. We remember the how, but we forget the why. Maybe that's why Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. There's a guy that gets beat up on the side of the road. He's, he's badly injured. Three spiritual people walk by, never give him a second thought because they don't want to be unclean. They want to go to the temple. They don't want to be robbed themselves. There's a million reasons why they're not going to help this person who's fallen down. And then a Samaritan, who is the worst of the worst in the Jewish culture, a vile, mixed breed, uh, a a guy that um, no good Jew would even walk through Samaritan territory because they didn't want to be associated with those people. And he's the guy that helps the wounded man. Jesus is saying, listen, forget the how, remember the why. Jesus died so that, that you can live. In the world's economy, it doesn't make sense to love your neighbor as yourself. In the world's economy, it doesn't make sense for you to give 10% or more of your income to the church and missions, to feed widows and orphans, to send a missionary or mission organization to every country in the world, to plant a church in every state of the United States, to, to help people in our own community, to do things like celebrate recovery and grief share and divorce care and divorce care for kids, to, to have a children's ministry. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Why would you give your money away? But in God's economy, it's about being concerned for others as much as you are yourself. Would you look at the person next to you that you don't know? So look past your spouse if you're married. Does that person soul think God loves them? think they have value?
There's a story I wasn't going to tell, I'm going to tell. And I can't even remember his last name. But his name is Tony. And he's a Christian psychologist. And he was in Hawaii one day and he went to a diner about 2 o'clock in the morning. And he suddenly realized that the entire diner was filled with prostitutes. And there was one lady in particular that he found out her name was Agnes that her birthday was the next day. And so he tells the guy behind the counter who, who loves this, this woman, thinks that she's a really good person. Sometimes we can't control our circumstances. Sometimes things are done to us that lead us down a certain path. And, and we think that that makes us evil or bad or dirty and that there's no redemption for us. But he says, you know, I'm going to throw a birthday party for this prostitute because Jesus loves her. The next day they get the the whole diner decked out with streamers and they have a birthday cake and everything. And Agnes comes in and she sees it and she just cries. It's the first time in her life that anyone has ever thrown a party for her. Why would he go do that? Because Jesus loves her. Her life matters to God. See, you can't change what other people do to you. You can't change your past. But you can change the way you live today. You can change the decisions you're going to make tomorrow. In God's economy, there's not a soul that shouldn't be invited to this party. And we should never forget that. Paul says... He goes on to write, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in who? Come on now. Don't Peter out on me now. I just use the word Peter and, you know, as a di- not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by what? Obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer... I who live, but who? Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Let me tell you a story of a changed life. I don't know if you know this, but in... Uh, Yesterday was the anniversary of Columbine. Anybody alive in 1999 in here? Raise your hand. Anybody not alive in 1999 in here? Okay. April 20th, 1999, two young men walked into Columbine school with handguns with a mission to create chaos and destroy lives, not just of those that they killed, but of those who loved the ones that they killed. Because they were broken inside. 
That day they killed 12 students and one teacher. There's a story of one girl, her name was Cassie Bernal, who grew up in a Christian home. But in her early teens, she rebelled against her family. And more importantly, she rebelled against God. She got mixed up in drugs. She got mixed up in alcohol. She was suicidal because her life had no meaning. At one point, she wrote letters that her parents found where she said that she wanted to kill her mom and dad. But when she was 15 years old, she went with a church group on a weekend retreat. And there at that weekend retreat, she gave her life back to Christ. And from that moment on, she lived as a Christian. Her life was transformed. She was changed. She wanted to make a difference in the lives of those around her. She wanted people to see it doesn't matter how far you've gone, that you are never so too far outside of the grace of Jesus. And so she became a missionary in her school, in her community, in her marketplace um, for God. On that day, on April 20th, 1999, one of those two boys who went to take life found her in a library and said, do you believe in God? Here is a girl who did some pretty messed up stuff earlier on in life, but who had found grace. And she said, yes, I do. And he said, then why don't you go meet him? And he pulled the trigger and killed her. Friends, inside of that tragedy is a story for all of us. Are you in or are you out? Are you going to continue to live far outside of God's grace or claiming his grace and continuing what you want to do simply because you know you can get away with it? Or are you going to be all out for him? Are you going to be transformed from the inside out? Are you going to allow God to heal you of your brokenness and your sinful past because sin is going to take you farther than you want to go? It's going to keep you longer than what you want to stay and it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. Friends, trust me, I've seen it over and over again. I've experienced it in my own life. God wants to free you from that. You don't know how dangerous it is It's time to turn around and go back towards Jesus and live for him. Because he will forgive you of the things you've done. He will make your slate clean. He will cover you with the blood that he shed on that cross so that you can walk anew. He wants to take your broken life and he wants to turn it into a beautiful mosaic. And the question is, are you going to let him? Will you let him? Are you in or are you out? Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for your grace. And I don't know what's going on in the lives of the people who are here today, but I know that you are the reconstructor of a broken life. That you take people who have erred and who have fallen off the track and you welcome them back home just like the prodigal son. And you say, it doesn't matter what the past looks like. It's already been paid. I just need to know that you're in and that we're going to do this together and that every life can be changed. Lord, I pray that we would never keep anyone out of the doors of this church because we think that they are not good enough because we are. Lord, we know that you have died so that everyone could be saved, that everyone has an invitation to the party and that God, that you want to do something great. We know that you've given a mission. So help us to live on fire anew, a fresh wind that would blow through our hearts and clean out the dust that's in the cabinets. And God, give us the courage and the boldness and the passion to reach those who are far from you because everyone needs to hear the story of a God who can reconstruct and rebuild what the world has destroyed. And God, everyone needs your son. So help us to live that way. God, help us to clean out the dark parts and allow you access so that you can bring light into the darkness. God, we want to be free. 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 And we know it's only by the blood of Jesus that we find that freedom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.